Well, good morning. Uh, as always, uh, it is uh, just a joy uh, to be together, to be with uh, with God's people. Uh, and I know, uh, you know, I was thinking, uh, watching uh, parents try to wrangle children at the children's <laughs> You know, that sometimes uh, we can ask ourselves, you know, like, oh, what is the point of this? Like, I feel like I don't, like, hear or get anything in, in worship, especially with, with little ones. And we can easily ask ourselves, like, why bother? Um but know that when you do that for your children, uh, and when you do that for yourself, what we are learning and what we are discovering in worship is, is really the rhythms of the Christian life, uh, the, ri- the rhythms of, of repentance, uh, the rhythm of, of, re- of turning from our sin and, and turning back to God and, and seeking uh, His grace for the sake of Jesus. Uh, and that's why we do this, uh, to not only to, to receive that grace that God pours out here, but, but to learn those rhythms of the life of the Christian. And that's what we're patterning for, for our children. That's what we're patterning for one another here in this place. Uh, and that's one of the major things that we remember uh, as we uh, think about celebrating a 500th year, the 500th year uh, of, the, of the Reformation. Uh, thinking back to, to a movement that started uh, with Martin Luther uh, nailing uh, his 95 theses on the on the door of, of the Wittenberg Castle Church. And, and as we think about that, uh, we think about really those those rhythms and, and those the centrality of grace. Uh, the truth that, that was at the center of, of that movement and, and really what I believe is still at the heart of, of our faith today uh, has often been summarized uh, by what's sort of shorthand referred to as the solas, of the Reformation. Sola gratia, sola fide, sola scriptura. Grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone. And all of this really rests on the truth that it is Christ alone who saves. And so as we remember the legacy of the Reformation, as we remember what was at the heart of that movement, as we remember why that still matters to us today, for us and for our children uh, we're going to take a look at, at each of those, uh, those four truths. Grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone. All for the, the sake of Christ and Christ alone. And, and as we begin uh, looking at those, we, we can't help but start uh, with what Paul proclaims in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, I know that, that there are a, a kind of a variety of, of backgrounds here. And, and not everyone necessarily grew up in the Lutheran church. Some did. Others have, have been Lutheran for quite a while, some not quite as long. But if you haven't discovered this already, uh, what you will come to discover if you're around Lutherans long enough, uh, that there are two things that Lutherans love more than anyone else, and it is potlucks and Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And it's not really a joke at all. And, and there's good reason that, that we love those words. And, and there's reason that, that many in here have probably committed those words to memory because those words are, are at the heart of, of what our faith proclaims, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, Paul writes. And he says, and this is not of yourselves, this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one may boast. Yeah, I, I love those words, I, I cherish those words. I hope that, that if you don't already cherish those words, that, that you grow 
to cherish those words. But sometimes I have to be honest that I think those words by themselves perhaps beg the question, save us from what? I remember a story that I heard a pastor once tell of when he grew up, uh, was growing up as, as a kid in, in a very devoutly religious home. He came from kind of a charismatic background. And, and he said that he and a friend one day, they, they were just playing in, in their front yard and, and riding bikes around the neighborhood. He said one, they were just feeling just zealous for the Lord. And, and they got this, this itch, this, this fiery passion. We, we need to go witness to some people. We, we just need to go, go witness, tell people about Jesus. And so they're riding their bikes through the neighborhood, and, and they went to the house of, of a classmate that they knew didn't really have much of a, a religious background. His family didn't really go to church at all. And so they, they, they rode their bikes up to his house, and, and sure enough, there this kid is. He's just kind of playing in his front yard, minding his own business. And, and these two boys, they, they ride up to this house, and, and they shout to the kid who's, who's in his front yard. They say, hey, are you saved? And the kid, just he kind of stops in his tracks and he just has this puzzled look on his face and he just looks back and goes, safe from what? And, and these, two, these two boys, they, they just kind of look back at each other and they look back at the kid and just said, uh, I will have to get back to you on that one. <laughs> you know, I, I think that perhaps that, that can be a problem and a challenge for, for us as Lutherans from time to time. I mean, I love being Lutheran. I am thankful that, that I grew up Lutheran. I am thankful that I grew up in a tradition that values above all else the centrality of the message of the gospel. But sometimes I fear that, that for myself and, and for all of us who, who are so familiar with that message, that, that it can perhaps become just sort of this painting on, on the wall of our lives, this, this masterpiece that, that we get so comfortable with and, and so familiar with that we really forget to kind of stop and just stare at it. That, that we forget to, to sort of stop and, and take stock of what it is that we hold. That, that we forget to just sort of step back and, and look at the masterpiece and really behold its beauty. And so what I want to do this morning is, is I want to kind of just do just that. I want to stop and take a moment to, to step back and, and behold the beauty of the message of grace. And consider for a moment not only what it means that we are saved by grace alone, but think for a moment also, what exactly does this grace save us from? And, and if we begin actually back early at the start of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul addresses that very plainly. Uh, this is what he writes, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul says, in our sin... 
Before we ever died physically, we were already dead spiritually. That we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Following the course of this world. Following the course of the enemy. And that we are all a part of this. No one in all of creation is excluded from this. Even the person who exhibits the most external holiness is not excluded from the truth that we are all, by nature, sinful. Dead in those sins. And he says that we are, by nature, children of wrath. We were born into wrath and judgment. We were born into death. We were born into this sickness. And the best that we could ever hope for on our own was wrath and judgment. You know, I think that sometimes, as Americans, we maybe miss out on the force of, of what Paul's saying here. Because we, we live in, in a place and in a time where sort of upward mobility in life, while it may be very challenging, it is possible. And, and this hasn't always been the case in every place and time in history. That oftentimes in history... This sort of pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality where you can sort of climb the economic and societal ladder. It hasn't always always existed. Oftentimes, the the lot that people are born into is essentially the lot that you inherit. The place in life that you are born into will often be your place in life for your entire life. And so what Paul is saying here, calling us children of wrath by nature, he's saying you were born into wrath. All you could ever produce was wrath. You lived your entire life under the curse of wrath. And the best you could ever hope to inherit is wrath. There's no getting out of it. There's no climbing out of it. Paul's not saying, you know, if if you just tried a little harder or could produce a little bit more or if your circumstances changed only slightly, your situation could be different. No, Paul is saying the best any of us could ever hope to achieve or receive is wrath, is judgment, is condemnation because we were born dead in our trespasses and sins, by nature, children of wrath. And to treat it as any less is is to simply make light of the weight and the curse of sin. And and frankly, I think we're often tempted to do this, right? We do this. We, We try to make light of our sin by just saying, you know, well, everyone does it. Or we make light of it or try to make ourselves look a little bit better by, by comparing us to, to so-and-so, the person next to us saying, hey, you know, I might, I might have my problems. I might have my stuff. I might have my junk, but at least I'm not like that person. Holy cow. We do things like we justify maybe cheating on our taxes by saying, I worked hard for this. This is mine. And, and what's, a, what's a few hundred dollars to, to the big old government? Or we justify just using our sexuality any way we please, saying, you know what? We all have our needs. 
Or perhaps maybe the the biggest temptation for us is, is to say, you know what? I am saved by grace. So what does it matter? But you see, the problem with all of these postures is is they fail to really embrace the the weight and the gravity of sin. You were born into sin. You were born under wrath. And all you could ever hope for was wrath. All your sin will ever bring is wrath and judgment. Not only in the future, but, but even here now in the present. That when we sin, we bring the experience of wrath right now into the present. That's why when selfish choices are made, it tears relationships apart. That's why when when we make unhealthy lifestyle choices, it it tears apart our, our bodies. That's why human selfishness is just tearing apart creation at its seams. Is that selfishness and and sin it cuts us off from God it cuts us off from one another and when we live in sin and, and when we embrace sin and the ways of the world what we experience now is wrath and what we can expect is wrath and judgment uh, there's a, a folk artist by the name of, of Sufjan Stevens. Brad, this is for you. Uh, and he writes a, a song uh, called John Wayne Gacy Jr. And, and the song is about, actually, the, the serial killer of the same name. And, and the song is, is, he tells us this haunting story, but the most haunting and, and troubling part is, is the way that he ends it. He ends it... With these words, he says, and in my best behavior, I'm really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards for the secrets that I've hid. In my best behavior, I am really just like him. That is the weight of sin that Paul speaks grace into. And when we make light of it, it's not just that we make light of the seriousness of sin. When we make light of sin, we also miss the seriousness and the beauty of grace. Because it's into that situation, it's into that death and judgment, it's into that wrath that God pours forth His grace. Paul says, Ephesians 2 Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one, so that no one may boast. But God, when he saw the situation that we were in, when he saw us in our sin and in our filth, when he saw us who were children, who were by nature children of wrath, 
He sent forth His Son. Our God is so rich in mercy. His grace is so immeasurable. Right? This picture that Paul paints here, it's as if God's mercy and grace and His love are just bubbling over. He cannot contain it. He cannot help but pour it out on us. He cannot help but treat us with kindness and with love. And so He sent forth His Son. And when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive with Him. When we were by nature children of wrath, God sent forth His Son to make us His holy and beloved children. And He did it by pouring out the wrath that our sin called for onto Jesus when He bore the cross for us. By grace you have been saved. You didn't earn it. You couldn't do anything to deserve it. But it was all the gift of God. We just simply sit back and and we receive it and we say, yes, by grace, I'm saved. And when God did this, he disrupted everything for us. No longer do we have to live in, in this cycle of sin producing more sin. And sin sin bringing forth wrath, and wrath producing more wrath. No longer do we have to live in that cycle anymore because we are no longer under wrath, but we are under grace. Because of the great love with which he loved us. You don't reap the fruit of your sin. No, 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 no. What you get is the fruit of Christ's perfection for you. You get grace And grace alone. And when your life is lived under grace, this makes an entirely new reality possible for you. You see, because if if sin simply brings the experience of God's wrath into the present, then what does embracing good works do except for bring the experience of God's grace right now into the present, right? That's why Paul writes these words at the end. Right, because you know that he doesn't end with verse 9. He goes on, he says, For we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right, Paul doesn't connect good works to, to earning salvation here. He doesn't say, do good works or you'll lose this gift. No, he paints this picture of good works as as simply us following Jesus and walking in the path that has been laid out for us as we now live our entire lives under the grace of God. Right? This is the entire point of Jesus' parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. Right, this servant is, is given, he's forgiven this, this huge, enormous, unfathomable debt. But the servant, he leaves his master's home and, and he walks out and then he goes and he refuses to forgive the minuscule debt of his fellow servant. He refuses to forgive picking up lunch for his neighbor. And in doing that, what he does is he refuses the opportunity to actually live his life under the grace that he has just been shown. 
And because of this, he is forced to reap instead the fruit of his sin, the fruit of his debt, imprisoned and forced to pay every penny that he owes. You see, when we are called to good works, what we are doing, it is not earning salvation. It is not proving to God our worth. No, what it is doing, it is bringing the experience of grace right now into our lives. It is living by grace. It is recognizing that I have been treated with grace. My life is lived under grace, and so I am going to extend that grace to others. And I promise you that when we live in this way, when we walk in this path, that has been prepared for us, we will bring the experience of God's kingdom into the present. That by denying the call to good works, but by refusing what God has in store for us, it's not that we should be afraid of hell, but what we're doing is is we may be missing out on opportunities to experience the goodness of God's grace. I mean, just take, for example, what we see here each and every week. We see these tiny little ones running around all over the place. And and as I said at the beginning, you know, sometimes it it can feel like, why am I doing this? It it would just be better. Why don't I just stay at home? I can listen to a podcast when when they go to sleep. But what we're doing by bringing little ones into worship with us is we are inviting them into the experience of grace and we are extending that grace to them. We are giving them that pattern of life, a pattern of a life that is lived solely under grace in the hope that God will be faithful to his promises and keep our young ones in the faith. We're inviting them into the experience of God's kingdom. I promise you that when you embrace the good works that God has in store for us, you will experience blessings in the present. And I'm not talking about some sort of silly health and wealth, prosperity gospel kind of blessings. No, what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the real genuine blessings of God's kingdom. I'm talking about the peace and the joy that extends far beyond our circumstances. I'm talking about living and daily recognizing that your value and your worth is all determined by the grace and the mercy of God. And that when you embrace the path that God has prepared for you, you experience that grace not only for yourself, you extend it out into the world, that the world might see and know and experience the kingdom of God and the riches of his grace. Uh, there's a, a 17th century uh, a French monk by the name of, of Brother Lawrence, and, and he writes this, this tiny little book. It's called The Practice of the Presence of God. And, and it's just sort of these spiritual conversations and, and axioms that, that he developed in, in conversations with, with his brothers in the faith and, and in reflecting upon the Word of God. And, and he has this line in there that, that I just absolutely love. He, he says this. He says, let us live and die with God. Sufferings will be ever sweet and pleasant to us while we abide with him. And without him, the greatest pleasures will be but cruel anguish. Even suffering will be ever sweet while we live with him. 
They will be ever sweet because they are endured under the grace and the mercy and the love and favor of our God. So scripture calls us to go, to go and and produce the works, the works that have been prepared for us beforehand by the God of grace and mercy so that we would walk in and under that grace and that mercy. Grace alone. These words are the very heartbeat of our faith. We were saved by grace alone. We were made alive by grace alone. We live each and every day under the promise of grace alone. And so we go and we walk in that path that has been prepared for us, knowing that we walk in it by the power of grace and grace alone. Amen?